You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Pilato, joined, as always, by Chris Flum. And today we're going to go over the quarterback position for our beloved New York football giants and how hopefully we'll see a little bit of growth and development within this position due to some of the additions the New York Giants made during the 2023 offseason. But before we get to any of that, Chris, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Got some absolutely beautiful weather right now, and I've got a little bit of a treat for myself this weekend. Going to see a concert. What concert is that? Uh Going to see Plush and The Warning. I don't expect you to have ever ever heard of them. However, just a note, Plush's lead singer, Mariah Formica, from Albany, New York. Doesn't Plush mean rich and expensive? Uh, yes. I'm imagining that this band is probably some type of screamo band. Am I wrong? Uh, I would say they're kind of a modern classic rock. They're really good. Okay, I just was uh, judging you based on some of your other bands that you are in love with, Slayer and things like that. Maybe that was wrong of me. Chris, I actually just went to my first concert ever out here in Glendale, Arizona, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which oh, was nice. a pretty fun experience. Yeah, I, I've heard the Chili Peppers are really good live. They're they're on my bucket list to go see. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. They're one of my favorite bands. But let's pivot this conversation now towards Daniel Jones. And Chris, I kind of want to frame this because it's interesting to me. And there's a lot that really goes into this. The New York Giants obviously fired Joe Judge at the end of the 2021 season. They bring in Brian Dable. They have Joe Shane, a whole new coaching staff that is ready to inculcate the correct way to play football. And I would say in terms of Daniel Jones, a player who has played in several different systems with several different voices in his ears this new coaching staff did so well by daniel jones because everybody was ready to write this guy off right or wrong people were saying that last year he didn't pick up his fifth year option he's going to be done he's done with the new york giants right let's see what happens the giants will suck they'll draft cj stroud or whoever they are going to draft and that didn't happen the giants ended up going to the playoffs winning a playoff game and daniel jones i would say in several key moments last year showed something that we questioned in the previous three to four years of his career and that was the ability to rise his level of play to a point where he comes up out on top at the end of the fourth quarter in these critical high leverage spots. And he was rewarded for that type of play. He signed a four-year, $160 million contract. If you look at the fine, the fine print, it kind of ends up being like a two-year, $82 million deal. And now Daniel Jones is going to be with the Giants for the foreseeable future. That is not necessarily something, Chris, that we envisioned heading into last season. No, and... I think a lot of credit to the Giants coaching staff for 
putting him in an offense that suited his suited his skill set. You can say a lot of things about Jason Garrett. Uh, a lot of them not good. Some of them good. Apparently, he was the voice of the room pounding the table for Andrew Thomas. He does seem to know what a good offensive tackle looks like. But his offense never really fit Daniel Jones. Pat Shermer's offense, we only got to see Jones in it for a little while in his rookie season. It was a very quarterback-friendly offense, and Jones did well enough in it. Like, enough to give people hope as a rookie. But the offense eventually settled upon by Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka because it went through a few iterations over the course of 2022, which I think is something we can get into maybe in the second half when we maybe look ahead to 2023. But it it really did fit Jones and what he does well and what he has done well going back to college. And I think also when you have a player like Daniel Jones, you know, 25-year-old, young kid, very tough, competitively tough individual, you have to take advantage of his athletic ability. And this is something that the coaching staff did a lot in 2022. They allowed him to run. If your first read's not there and your check down is not there and that B gap is open, take the B gap. And he took the B gap consistently. And it allowed the Giants to, as Hank Schramm would say, matriculate the football down the field. Six yards here, seven yards here, eight yards here. And I find the Giants to be kind of a wild in 2022 in the sense that they ended up going to the playoffs as the third seed in their own division. The NFC is weak, right? They won a lot of tight games where coin flipped could have went in a different direction. You got to applaud them for coming out on top in those situations, but that doesn't always carry over year to year. Football's a complicated game. But Chris, I'll say this. They were dead last in explosive plays. And that's something that we've talked about a lot. This was not an offense that was able to push the football down the field like a lot of other really talented modern offenses were. Now, and we'll talk about this a lot in the second half of the show, you add explosive playmakers that can allow you to do that. Like Dead last is dead last. You're talking about the crappy offenses last year, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Los Angeles Rams, the New York Jets, all these disgusting teams. The Giants had lesser uh, they they did not have as many explosive plays as those teams. And I find that to be just an absolutely wild, wild uh, reality because they still went to the playoffs and won a game and their defense wasn't necessarily the driving force to that. So it was a unique situation and something that you don't always see year in and year out in the NFL. But I also believe that it allows the Giants to grow from it allows the Giants a lot of leeway, a lot of space to grow from what their offense showed last season. Yes. And. Part of that was due to just roster constraints. The right side of their offensive line was not living up to expectations. Uh, Mark Lewinsky was expected to be a stabilizing force at right guard. Evan Neal was expected to, I think, live up to his high, the draft capital invested in him, basically being a top 10 pick. And... It didn't work out that way. And also the Giants, you know, Kenny Galladay was really a shell of the player the Giants hoped to be getting when they signed him to that big deal. Kadarius Toney was often injured and then off the squad completely. Wondell Robinson gets hurt. Like we've, we went over this basically on a weekly basis last year. The other part of it is just kind of the shape of the offense that the Giants settled on, which was 
at the beginning of the year, a whole lot of RPOs. And then in the second half, a kind of classic West Coast quick game. And then a whole lot of play action boot, but generally short, quick passes throughout the season. And you can kind of see that. Actually, you can absolutely see that in Daniel Jones's intended air yardage. He was the lowest of all of the qualifying quarterbacks in the NFL last year, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, at 6.3 yards downfield. Um, the shambling corpse of Tom Brady had seven yards downfield. Baker Mayfield had 6.8. The ghost of Matt Ryan, who is not retired, although he's now taking a broadcasting job, had 6.4 yards downfield on that bad Colts team. So there is definitely room to grow, but I think a lot of that was also kind of intentional last year. I do believe so as well. I think it was intentional, but I'll say this too. And I like Daniel Jones. I don't think Daniel Jones, and I've said this on a few different podcasts. I don't think Daniel Jones has top five potential necessarily. I don't think he has that type, those types of capabilities right now. I think some of the issues that I have with Daniel Jones all come down to anticipatory throwing, specifically towards the sidelines, but also in the deep parts of the field where you have to make quick decisions, right? Like you can be a pure progression type of passer, Chris. You can go from your one to your two to your three. And Daniel Jones can do that when he's not operating in a quick hitting, you know, quick game offense where it's like this one read, if it's not there, use your legs or take the check down. But what I want to see Daniel Jones do, Chris, and I want to get your opinion on this. I want to see him. Okay. Pre-snap. I know what the defense is in, or I think I know what the defense is in. Okay. Post-snap snap happens. Defense is not what I believed it was in pre-snap. It changed. I want to see Daniel Jones in those instances quickly decipher what the defense is doing. And then he automatically knows which one of his receivers will be open based on the coverage that the defense is rotating to post snap. And that is a quick bang, bang type of decision. And it's not that Daniel Jones hasn't done this. It's just, you don't see him do this. I would say consistently. And another aspect of his game that I want to see him take advantage of, because I do believe he has sufficient arm strength. I think he has a good arm, right? It's not Pat Mahomes, not Justin Herbert, but he has an NFL arm is when those instances materialize in the deep parts of the field, take your shot, man. You don't always have to take the shot when it's just a one-on-one -on -one situation. But if you're, I saw this a lot in the Seattle game. If Darius Slayton has a step, take that shot up the sideline on the double move. And I think it happened like two or three times against Seattle. And then it happened a few times, I think against Detroit a couple of weeks later after the bye week. So those are some instances that I want to see it just maybe a little bit more aggressiveness, a little bit more assertiveness, and just a little bit more decisiveness based on post-snap rotation when it wasn't what he believed it was going to be pre-snap. Those were what some of the best quarterbacks do, man. Just really, really quick processing. And I can't say, and Chris, I want to get your opinion on this. I can't say right now that I'm fully confident that Jones is the quickest pro or the quickest processor that he can be. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, going back to when Jones was drafted and NFL scout told Ed, who told me that his read on Jones is that he was a mechanic. He would execute the play as it was called, as it was designed, but that was kind of it. And last year, I noticed kind of a disconnect 
in his processing and processing speed where when things were as expected, when the pre and post snap reads lined up and he was able to be in rhythm and throw on time, everything went fine. But then there was the the instances where the pre and post snap reads didn't line up and he either had to accelerate his process or kind of go off script like that. That was when they would, like you said, that there was kind of a breakdown and he either wouldn't challenge. Uh, we saw that in the Philly game where Isaiah Hodgins just smoked James mm-hmm. Bradbury a couple times on double moves and the the shot just was not taken. And you, that was when you would kind of see that you could also see just wild throws. I remember one uh, wound up, I believe it wound up being caught, but it was about, looked like it was about five feet over Wandale Robinson's head. He had to tip it to himself. Uh, there was another one where he threw it into Saquon Barkley's calf, you know, that sort of thing. But then at the other side of that, when things break down completely and Jones is just scrambling and he'll see a flash of color, a blue helmet downfield and throw it. It's just, I, I call them brainstem throws where it is just pure reflex the brain is not consulted at all and those again that's where to me his wow throws come in but i'm with you i would like to see him step up his processing speed when things are accelerated but not out of control yet and i think it's a good spot to actually pivot to what we were going to do after the ad break right now. And then after the ad break, we'll discuss Tyrod Taylor and a little bit on Tommy DeVito because the Giants offense last year changed so many times. You brought up the many different iterations and that's a real testament to Mike Kafka and Brian Dable and their ability to adjust based on opposing personnel and your own personnel. And we saw after the bye week, the Giants added this receiver off the Bills practice squad named Isaiah Hodgins. And I felt like once Isaiah Hodgins was inserted into the lineup during that Texans game, you started seeing his role grow more and more. And there was a natural rapport and comfortability with Daniel Jones because Isaiah Hodgins knew this offense coming from Buffalo. He worked with Brian Dable in the past, but it eventually led Chris to the Giants being a much more efficient and effective team out of 11 personnel. 11 personnel means three wide receivers out there, one tight end, one running back. And we saw in the previous weeks before the Giants played the Vikings the first time, when they played Washington even the first time, and then they played Philly and then Washington again, they were using a lot more 12 personnel, but they couldn't run the football out of 12 personnel because Washington is just a, they're just bricks out there in terms of stopping the run with Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sway, and, and company. But when the Giants started using more 11 personnel, they started being more efficient running the football, but they were also operating a more West Coast style system where it was just kind of quick hitting. If it wasn't there, use your legs, Daniel Jones, and take take what the defense is giving you. And it was effective and it was successful. But I do see a lot of people saying, was that natural growth and development and Daniel Jones coming into his own? Or was it just the Giants kind of playing shitty defenses? Because they faced Minnesota twice in that, and they played Indianapolis as well. What are your thoughts to that? Because I tend to think that it was natural development, but certainly, certainly, Ed Donatel's defense and the Colts who gave up at that point also play a factor. Um, I, I will say yes. You know, I I think it's really a combination 
of all of those factors and plus the mid-season change in offensive scheme. You know, we saw towards the middle of the season, I think really with the with that Seattle Seahawks game, um, the Baltimore Ravens really had the Giants number right up until uh, that wide receiver had that offsides. You know, teams had started to get a feel for the Giants offense, the, the RPO offense they were running at the beginning of the year, which is also very different from the offense, at least from what I was told, they were trying to install at the beginning of training camp, which was a lot of option routes. Uh, Ed described it to me as basically being a, a Kevin Gilbride style offense and that apparently just did not work at all it was again from what was described to me very ugly to watch in camp and then the Giants had that RPO offense and I think they took a lot of teams kind of by surprise early on in the season the NFL caught up with them and then they had that late change really in overtime of that first Washington game to the to the quick game attack and getting Isaiah Hodgins in as that really reliable uh, ex-flanker, little bit number one, little bit possession receiver guy out there. And that kind of stabilized things and also allowed them to switch to 11 personnel, which forced teams to play a lot more nickel, which opened things up for the running game as well. So I really do think it was a change in philosophy, natural growth within the system, but also you really can't discount how bad the Vikings and Colts played on defense. I mean, we were going over this before we started recording, but yeah, starting in week 14, just after that overtime tie, the Giants had 304 total yards against the Eagles. Okay, we know the Eagles were filthy on defense. They had 288 yards in their win against Washington, but that touchdown came via Kayvon Thibodeau. Then against the Vikings, 445 total yards. Against the Colts, 394 total yards. The Giants' backups against the Eagles, again, their backups, uh, 284 total yards. Then against the Vikings in the playoffs, 431 total yards. And then starter against starters with the Eagles in the playoffs, 227 total yards. So I like, I also don't know if you can discount the quality of the defense that the offense was going up against. No, you can't discount it. It's just, do you believe that the growth that Daniel Jones showed and what he was working with at the time, and he hasn't lost much, right? He lost Richie James from that from that uh, offense. And then you can say Feliciano and Nick Gates, who I think they are a substantial loss, but it's not to the point where it should just crush the New York Giants. If the Giants can replace those guys with Ben Bredis and if Josh Azuda can get healthy and get out there, I'm not too worried about the loss of Nick Gates and John Feliciano. But what the Giants added in terms of Darren Waller, Paris Campbell, Jalen Hyatt, retaining Isaiah Hodgins, even Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, like those are big retentions and big additions that can allow Daniel Jones in this offense to create explosive plays in theory. And that's had to be the number one goal for Joe Shane is find playmakers who can take the top off of defenses and who can allow the Giants to hit home runs instead of just hitting these singles and these doubles all the time, you know, 10 yards here, which is great. 
five yards here, three yards here, be able to actually threaten defenses vertically and horizontally. And that's going to open up the running game. That's going to force defenses to play more two high shells, more cover four, more cover two. And that's going to allow that box to be light. So Saquon Barkley, hopefully, can operate really well and run the football in 11 personnel or 12 personnel. Now your 12 personnel is really creative because you have a player like Darren Waller. So I'm very excited, Chris, on these additions and what the brilliant minds of Brian Dable and Mike Kafka can do to put Daniel Jones into a position where he can really just maximize all of his potential. Because the one thing they just could not do last year was create explosive plays, man. And now if these guys are healthy with Hyatt, Waller, and Campbell, all three of those guys can create explosive plays. And we know Darius Slayton created a bunch last year. He was the impetus to a lot of the explosive playmaking from the 2022 Giants offense. Yeah, the the flip side of that is the other thing the Giants couldn't do, and I they couldn't allow themselves to do, is turn the ball over. And they really ran the most risk-averse offense in mm. the entire NFL. And they were rewarded with that. They had, I believe, the fewest turnovers of any team. And that also played a role in their wins, all those close wins they got, where if they had committed even a couple more turnovers over the course of the season, they probably miss the playoffs. So that that is going to be a balancing act for the offense and for Kafka and Dayball going forward is where can they stretch the field? Can they look even a little bit further down the field, but without putting themselves in bad situations, putting too much on the defense to bail out the offense if they take chances and it comes up snake eyes. And that's a really excellent point too, Chris, before we go to the ad break as well, because going back to Daniel Jones's rookie year when he was a turnover machine, where he fumbled the football and everyone was making fun of him all the time. He had a lot of turnover worthy plays and turnover worthy throws. Jason Garrett was hired in part, not only just because he was a former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, who's good friends with John Mara, and he could help a young rookie head coach in Joe Judge maintain a, uh, a presence as the head coach. He can really just be there for him. It was also just to limit the turnover rate of Daniel Jones. And you can say, yeah, he was successful in doing that by creating one of the worst offense, <laughs> one of the worst offensive attacks that we've seen in a while as New York Giant fans. But he did do that. And last year, Brian Dable was able and Mike Kafka was able to maintain the low turnover worthy play rate while also actually being efficient on third down and in the red zone and all that. Everything like that is important. We will be talking about third down efficiency and red zone percentage and all that kind of stuff when we go over tight ends and wide receivers a little bit later on. That's very important. But now, if that efficiency is not maintained, you're going to need to be more uh, be more uh, risk. You need to take more risks, right? You can't be as risk averse, and that's going to lead to possibly more turnovers. That's a, an interesting point. I'm glad you brought it up. But Chris, we talked a lot about this, so... We should probably get into Tyrod Taylor and Tommy DeVito. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, man. Let's get right into Mr. Ty Rod Taylor. He is going to be the primary backup who is on the last year of his contract here in New York. He's going to be 34 years old in August. He turns 34 as an older player. This is somebody who hasn't thrown for over 1,000 yards since 2017, hasn't completed more than 100 passes since 2017. He has bounced around the league a good amount. I feel like he's mostly... He's very respected, but he's also remembered for these weird, I would say, instances that where he was going to be the starter with the rookie quarterback who was also on the roster, but then something happened and he didn't end up starting. We can go back to 2018 with Baker Mayfield. You can go back to Justin Herbert in 2020 with the whole Los Angeles Chargers accidentally stabbing him in the lung, which was just a really (laughs) wild and weird experience. But overall, I'm comfortable with having a player like Tyrod Taylor, who is a consummate professional, to back up a player like Daniel Jones. And I think he's a great presence to have for this New York Giants team. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. I think he is. He offers a lot of the same things that Daniel Jones does. He has a a he has an NFL caliber arm. He can make. Most of the throws you're going to routinely ask him to do. He's got plenty of experience. He's a steady guy on your sideline, and he still has enough athleticism that he could execute the Giants' entire offense if he needs to. So uh, he is the type of quarterback, backup quarterback, that is that I feel comfortable with. I I feel about the same with Tyrod Taylor as I used to do with uh, David Carr. David Carr, okay, yeah, we're going back a little bit. I, I my, my thing about Tyrod Taylor is this. I'm comfortable with him, but he needs to do a better job protecting himself when he does get in there. Like We saw him make one appearance, right, during the regular season other than like garbage, garbage cleanup time, and he ended up getting hurt. Ends up taking these shots. I feel like he's he's not that big of a guy, Like right? He's six foot one. Uh, I don't even have it in front of me. I think like 215 pounds. He's around that type of weight. So I think he can do a better job protecting himself when his number is called. But overall, having him on the roster, just in case something did happen to Daniel Jones, there are a lot worse backup quarterbacks that the Giants could have. And anybody they, who's been, They've had a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's been following or covering the Giants for even the last two or three years would know that, a la the Mike Glennon. Even though Mike Glennon played really well in that Cowboys game with Kadarius Toney and then just fell off the face of the earth after that in the 2020 one season and then obviously the Jake Fromm game which has become famous among Giants lore yeah like you said the Giants could definitely do a lot worse than Tyrod Taylor as their backup quarterback and as we've seen uh I think the San Francisco 49ers are a prime example of this having a good backup quarterback a guy you feel confident comfortable in seeing him go on the field for anything other than as a human cigar. Yeah, that is really important. I mean, it it won the Philadelphia Eagles, their only Super Bowl, having Nick Foles there as a guy who could come in and play well enough for you to win, be a quarterback you could win with. 
if not a quarterback who can win the game for you. Ah, why do you got to invoke those oh, emotions hey. of the Philadelphia Eagles winning a Super Bowl here, Chris? What are you doing? Eh, it's one Giants fans won't forget, so it's that at is- least useful as a lesson. Yes, yes, that is true. Okay, so let's transition to Tommy DeVito before we get out of here. Tommy DeVito, undrafted free agent, signed by the Giants. Might just be a camp arm. Who knows? He attended the University of Syracuse back in 2017, red shirt. Spent, I think, four seasons there, five seasons, if you include the 2017 year. Ended up losing his job in 2021 and transferred to Illinois and helped lead the Fighting Illini to a, I think, eight and five record, if I'm not mistaken. So that defense is the primary reason why they were as good in in the Big Ten. But at the same time, Tommy DeVito did what he was supposed to do. This is a tough, tough nosed Jersey kid that I feel like, I, Chris, I think Giant fans, if he does stick around and he's that just practice squad guy, maybe he gets called up if something happens to Tyrod Taylor. Do you think there could be a Tommy DeVito division developed like there was a David Sills army? I absolutely believe it. Yeah. We're, again, joking before we started recording, I honestly wish his parents had named him Dan so we could have Danny DeVito as the Giants' third quarterback. And... the storylines would write themselves if he went in and wound up maybe being a little bit of a of a Brock Purdy. And so anyway, he started passing. <laughs> yeah, man. And this is somebody, dude. Oh, man. Danny DeVito. Love it. He played at Don Bosco Prep. He was coached by former Rutgers star Mike Teal. So this is Jersey kid through and through. He was a New Jersey football icon high school wise back at that time. So. You look at his stats in college, he only threw for 43 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. He had 15 touchdowns last year and four interceptions. Back in 2019, he had a 19 and five touchdown to interception ratio. Tough, like I said, tough kid. Like he's not going to run like Daniel Jones, but if you need him to get a yard on like third and two, he's going to lower his shoulder and try to freaking run through people who are much bigger than him. And that's the kind of competitiveness that you want in a quarterback. I watched the Purdue and Michigan game in 2022 on him. I felt like, Similar to Daniel Jones, similar to a lot of quarterbacks, the pre-snap reads is something that I felt like he struggled with. Like if the post-snap rotation was something he did not anticipate, he put the football into situations that I was like, yo, man, like you can't throw the football there. Like if the defense was using creepers or they rotated their coverage or anything like that, it was a little precarious with where he was putting the football. I thought his accuracy was okay. I, I, solid, I guess you could say. I did like one thing that he did, Chris, was whenever there was like a, a a flag route or an out route or anything towards the sidelines, he would either put it into a position to where the wide receiver could catch it or he would sail that shit out of bounds. <laughs> like he wasn't throwing it to the inside, at least in those two games from what I saw. I, I do think it's just going to be a camp arm, like an interesting, fun, local story camp arm that people will end up liking. But there's not really room on this roster, obviously, for the Giants to carry three quarterbacks. Yeah, I really think DeVito kind of takes Davis Webb's spot on the practice squad. I think he'll probably be fun as hell to watch in camp and in the preseason. I think he's a little bit more athletic than people give him credit for. I noticed, like, especially at Illinois, when the play would break down and you kind of get to backyard, schoolyard football, he had some moves. Like, he could make defenders miss. He could scramble around, and he had a good enough arm that he could get the ball to the receiver, challenge coverage if he needed to, and do it off platform. Now, he's not 
Pat Mahomes. He's not even in the same universe as Pat Mahomes. I don't know if he ever has the upside to become a starting quarterback. I think he could potentially be developed into an in-house backup quarterback. Yeah, I am a little surprised that the Giants at some point, which they did trade away a lot of their mid-round picks, but I am still a little surprised the Giants didn't draft a developmental quarterback, a guy that they could raise as their own behind Daniel Jones. But maybe Tommy DeVito can be that guy. Anything else, Chris, on the quarterback position, Tommy DeVito, or just any thoughts on your head about concerts, pizza, whatever you want to talk about? <laughs> now, you know, I am going to be interested to see how things shake out, how how things develop, the offense as a whole develops over the course of the offseason and camp. And like I said, I, I really kind of want to see Tommy DeVito in these preseason games. Yeah, Maybe he'll even get the chance to start the final game if the Giants do what they had done and give a lot of their a lot of their starters and important backups kind of that last preseason game off. And also just I would invite everybody to check out check out Plush and check out the warning because I tell you, within two to three years, the warning are going to take over the world. Okay, there you go, everybody. But thank you for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. If you have not done so already, please like and subscribe and comment to this podcast wherever you get this podcast and head on over to BigBlueView.com where we have all of our written content. Thank you, everyone, and have a lovely day.